Good morning. It's, uh, it's so good to be here. It, uh, it really is. Uh, my, my wife and I have been so humbled uh, this weekend and during our last visit here, just having an opportunity to interact with and get to know many of you. And I know there's many of you we haven't had a chance to meet yet. Um, but for those of you who have interacted with us, uh, thank you for your warmth and your hospitality and your kindness. Um, yeah, we're, we're honored to be here. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've been asked a few times, hey, how was the, how was the trip? Um, to which I say, well, we, we flew for several hours with a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So, uh, and, and I joke about that, um, but we've actually flown a lot with our kids, and uh, they did a really good job. And so we were grateful. The, the hairiest part, honestly, was probably in the terminal waiting to get on the plane. Uh, and they're just causing havoc running around. And you know, you know in the terminal they have those flat screen TVs and oftentimes they're playing the news. And I haven't watched the news in I don't know how long. Uh, but, but I'm standing there uh, trying to keep my son from pulling the lady's hair sitting next to him and occasionally glancing at the news. And I, again, I don't, I don't watch a lot of news these days. I, I mainly read the news. That's how I consume my news these days. But I, I was catching a little bit. And, and for some reason, as I was watching just a little bit of the news here and there, uh, it, it dawned on me that, that any time we watch the news, Anytime we, we see the news, there's behind it one question. Like what, whatever network you tune into, there's, a, there's one question, there's one premise behind whatever it is you're watching. And everything that you're watching is an answer to this one question. And this is the question. What are the greatest issues facing the world today? Like what are the most pressing things going on in the world today that you need to know, right? And then whatever it is that you see, there's a sense in which that is this particular network's answer to that question. And I, I share that this morning because I want to begin with a quote from the late, great Dallas Willard. And uh, he, he offers an answer to this question that you're probably not going to see on any of the networks out there. Uh, and this is it. He says this. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today, with all of its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians, will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. In other words, what Willard is suggesting here is that the greatest issue facing the world today is whether or not those of us who, who call ourselves in some sense Christians actually become more and more like Jesus. That we would actually fix our eyes on him, pursue him, love, serve, obey, delight in him to such an extent that we would increasingly look like him. And, and I find this quote simultaneously disturbing and compelling. I find it disturbing because 
of the assumption that he makes that, that we live in a world where there are many people who call themselves Christians, and yet there's a disconnect between the life that they're living and a life that looks like Jesus. And I find it disturbing because if I'm honest, I find that disconnect in my own life when I look at myself. But I also find it compelling. And I find it compelling because there's another assumption in this quote, and that assumption is this. More than anything else, anything else, what the world needs most is an encounter with Jesus. What the world needs, with all of its heartbreaking needs, what it needs more than anything else is just to see Jesus clearly. And this is the vocation of the church. This is what it means to be a community of Jesus' followers. To be a community of people whose eyes are so fixed on Jesus, who are following after him, who are being discipled by him such that we are increasingly looking more and more like Jesus so that when the world looks at us, they're drawn. They're drawn to a community that connects them to a God who created us all and loves us so much that he would give his very life for us. This morning I want to talk about discipleship. I want to talk about following Jesus. And, and my hope as we read and reflect on this particular text of Scripture this morning, my hope is that God's Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus, would speak to every single one of us about what it might look like for you to follow Jesus. Like even today. That, that's my hope and that's my prayer. The, the text that we're looking at this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. We've got the text here. If you don't have it on, in your hand or in the phone, um, this is God's word for God's people. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. God's word for God's people. Pray with me. Father, uh, we, we pause now and whatever it is that we are here this morning, we come here having had different experiences this week, being in different seasons of life, having different even thoughts about you, feelings about you. I ask that you would invite the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit to come, that you would open the ears of our hearts and our minds and that you might speak to us in such a way so that we do not leave unchanged this morning. Help us to respond to, to your call. 
I would love you too, Father. And we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit, who's here with us now. Amen. So, there's nothing real flashy about this story. It's actually quite basic. It's quite simple. There are no miracles involved here, right? No big debates or arguments with the Pharisees. It's just Jesus who shows up on the shore of a lake, sees a couple fishermen, and is like, hey, guys, you guys, come here. Follow me, right? And then he does the same thing with two other guys. Hey, guys, come on. Come this way. Come follow me. And they do, and that's kind of the end of it. And, and yet, despite how basic this story seems, there, there are several things I find striking about it. Several things as I read this story that stick out to me. And the first thing is this. Did you notice that Jesus chooses his disciples? They don't choose him. Simon, and later to be called Peter, and James are, are minding their own business fishing, right? They're casting their net into the lake, and, and Jesus shows up, and he says, hey, you guys, right? You, yep, come, follow me, right? And then we see James and John, next scene, doing their thing, mending their nets in their boat, and Jesus shows up, points to them, and says, you guys, come, follow me, and Jesus initiates the relationship. He chooses them. He calls them. And, and in fact, if you read the gospel stories, at no point do any of Jesus' 12 disciples approach him and say anything like, hey, Jesus, can we be your disciples? In every instance, Jesus chooses them. He's the one who issues the call to them. He initiates the relationship. This may not seem odd to you. It probably shouldn't. But in Jesus' day, this was very strange. Because the custom when it came to disciple-rabbi relationships was the opposite. If you were a young man looking to be discipled, then you found yourself a rabbi. There, there was this well-known rabbi shortly before Jesus' time named Joseph ben Pariah. And he had this famous line. He, he was giving advice to young men looking to, to grow in their knowledge of the Torah, right? God's instruction to his people as to how to be faithful. And, and he said this to these young men, provide yourself with a teacher and get you a fellow disciple. In other words, it's up to you to shop around, to find a teacher who, uh, who you think you can learn from, whose interpretation of the Torah you trust, Get another disciple and, and begin learning. Right, but, but that's not how this story works. See, in this story, Jesus chooses his disciples. And I, I think this means several things. Um, not least of all, I think that what this means for us is that if you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered, can God use me? Like if you've, ever, if you've ever wondered, okay, Jesus, do you actually, can you actually use me in meaningful, powerful, significant ways in the lives of those around me? Like do you, do, do you think, do you really think you can 
meaningfully touch people's lives and do beautiful and good things around me? If you've ever wondered that question or doubted that, the answer is unequivocally yes. When, when you read the biblical story, it's, you get this impression that, that God specializes in choosing the least likely people to do the most impactful things in ways that no one expected. Right? Abraham was a liar. And that's not even the worst of it. He did some pretty shady things beyond that. Moses was a stutterer. You'd never expect for him to be the one through whom God spoke to the most powerful person in the world at that point. See, uh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. Right? King David had arguably the most dysfunctional family in the entire Bible. Right? The disciples were a hot mess. Let's be honest. Mary was an insignificant teenager from a backwater town no one had ever heard of. Paul was someone whom today we would refer to as a violent religious extremist, right? A murderer, right? So you, you march through the biblical story and time after time after time, God is choosing people and being like, you're the one. I'm going to use you in ways that you never imagined. Jesus chooses his disciples. He's the one who issues the call. He's the one who initiates the relationship. And, and the reality is, he's calling each and every single one of you. Whether or not you've ever heard his call, like I'm, I'm telling you right now, he is calling you, inviting you to follow him, to draw near to him, to look to him, to see the grace of the invisible God in him. If you are a disciple of Jesus and you feel unequipped to in any way be powerfully used by him, then here's the good news. Jesus doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your marital status is, what your educational level, your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter what insecurity or doubts or skeletons in your closet you bring to the table, all that matters is that Jesus is calling you. He chooses his disciples. They don't choose him. But notice though, notice, see, even though Jesus initiates the relationship, even though Jesus is the one who chooses his disciples, his disciples aren't passive recipients in this process, right? They don't just sit there and do nothing, which, which brings us to a second striking observation in this very simple story, and it's this. Jesus' call demands a response. Jesus' call demands a response. It's amazing to me how responsive the disciples are in this story. Like, shockingly so, actually. Again, Simon and Andrew are just chilling. Jesus shows up, says, come follow me. And we're told that they left their nets, quote, at once and followed Jesus. And then we're told that, quote, without delay, James and John left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. It, it's as if by including these details, this utter responsiveness 
of Jesus' disciples. It's as if Mark, the author of this gospel, wants to emphasize the fact that, that following Jesus is, is a process of, of becoming attentive and responsive to the voice of Jesus in our lives. And, and it's not simply a, a one-time thing. Yes, there's an entrance point. There's an initial call to the grace of God that we see in Jesus. But it's not a one-and-done call. You read the gospel stories and you see that following Jesus is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship of keeping our eyes on him, of learning, as Eugene Peterson puts it, the unforced rhythms of grace. There's a responsiveness to the disciples here. And it's a responsiveness that, that we are invited to as we seek to follow Jesus. I, I'll never forget, uh, I was in a coffee shop several years ago, which was actually my office. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, I was a pastor and uh, we thought, oh, we'll save some money. Uh, and so the five closest coffee shops to my house were my office. And uh, you know, there was one in particular I frequented most often. And so, you know, you spend a lot of time in a coffee shop, you get to know the baristas. And there was one particular barista, and we'll call her Becca. Uh, not that you can't know her real name. It's not like you can be like, oh, Becca. Uh, we'll just call her Becca. And, uh, and I got to know Becca over the years. And uh, just to paint a picture, this was a, a young woman who was an art student and covered in tattoos, piercings all over her face. And I would say, I'd say half the time that she was working, she wasn't high. And, and I'll leave it to your imagination to conclude what that meant for the other half of the time she was working. Um, but just a, such a delightful young woman. Like I genuinely enjoyed every time I interact with her. I always left with a smile. And, and there was one day in particular, I was just sitting there studying and, uh, and Becca came over and she was wiping down tables. And I was like, hey Becca, how's it going? And, uh, and she kind of, she kind of, just looked away and was like, oh, fine. And if you knew Becca, you know, okay, like that's code for, it's not fine. And so I was like, no. Uh, I was like, okay, so Becca, let me try again. How are you doing? And that's when the floodgates opened. And she started crying and she sat down on the couch next to me and, and just began to vomit. Not literally vomit. <laughs> As soon as I said that, I thought, well, I, uh, like word vomit, okay, <laughs> big difference. Uh, and and, and she, she opened up, and she began to just share with me what was going on in her life. And she happened to be experiencing something quite scary, to be honest. It was terrifying. She didn't know what to do. And she's sitting there explaining everything to me. And she didn't even, I don't think she even knew I was a pastor at the time. But, uh, but as she's doing this, I, I sense this prompting in my heart, being like, Michael, you should pray for her. And, and here's the thing, like, as a pastor, I love praying for people. I pray, I pray for people all the time. And yet, in this particular moment, for whatever reason, I, I didn't, I just preferred to listen. Uh, I was like, God, can't, can I just be that good listener right now? <laughs> like, that good listening guy. And so, and, and I didn't really want to. I didn't know. And I'm like praying to God and I'm, I'm, I'm saying, God, what if it gets awkward? Like, what if she's offended 
Because, you know, in previous conversations, I've gotten the impression she's not really into this God thing. And, uh, and so finally I was like, okay, God, I'll, I'll pray for her, but you, you've got to open the door. Like, just make it so obvious. Um, and any, I'm literally in the midst of having this kind of wrestling match with God. And if you didn't know that, that's what this symbol means, is a wrestling match with God. I don't know where I... Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. Uh, and, uh, and then she, I'm not kidding, she literally stops talking at one point. And she looks at me, and she, again, she didn't know I was a pastor, and she said, Michael, I don't know, like, I don't believe in God. I'm not, like, into religion, but even, even if someone could just pray for me or something. <laughs> I, I'm not lying. Like, that's literally what she said. I'm like, okay, God, right? And, uh, and I said, listen, Becca, I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm a pastor. And more importantly, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I would be honored to pray for you. And she was so thankful. And she said, okay, I'm getting the stink eye from my boss right now, so I have to get back. But I'll tell you what. And we worked out a deal that before I left, that she was going to come with me. We were going to stand in the parking lot, and I was just going to pray for her. I was like, great, okay. So I, I'm about 30 minutes later, I'm packing up my bag, getting ready to go, and I'm thinking, oh, she probably forgot. Um, and she's over there, like, making a latte. Um, this is actually how you make a latte, by the way. I do know that. Uh, and so she's made, and she sees me leaving, and she's like, oh, Michael, Michael, hey, remember you, you were going to, yeah, okay, just a second, just a second. And she's like, you know. And so, so she runs out, and we, we go outside, and I, I just ask her if I can put my hand on her shoulder, and I, I pray this very simple prayer for her. And, and when I'm done, she, it's like this peace had just washed over her. And she was so thankful. She said, thank you so much, Michael. And, and here, here's the deal. Like, she didn't surrender her life to Jesus in that moment. Like, there was no, that I could see, there was no conversion. Like, she wasn't baptized right then and there. She didn't come to my church the next Sunday. And, and yet, yet, because I, I, I responded, I mean, it took, God had to kind of knock me over the head a little bit. It was, there was some hesitation. But because I responded to the call in the moment, something of God's grace was unleashed. And I, and I don't know if there was a seed planted or if some sort of barrier was removed or some preconceived idea about what God and his people are like was reconfigured in her mind. I have no idea, but something of God's grace was unleashed in that moment. Jesus' call demands a response, and it's not a one-time deal. It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship following Jesus, the crucified and risen Savior of the world, the one in whom we see and encounter the grace and love of God. Jesus' call demands a response. If there's one thing I know this morning, it's that Jesus is inviting you into a deeper relationship with himself. He is calling you into something more. And I have no idea what that means for you. I have no, it could be that following Jesus right now means having a very difficult conversation that you know you need to have, but you're really 
you've been avoiding. Right? Maybe you're, you're on the cusp of a massive life transition. Right? An expanding family, a new job, maybe moving. I, I have no idea. Maybe, maybe you're in a crazy busy season of life because you have a four-year-old and, and a two-year-old and it just seems like everything's falling apart. And, and, and the, the thing that Jesus is inviting you to right now, literally, is just, he's saying, just trust me. Like, I'm, I'm going to hold all these things. I'm holding all these things that you think are going to fall. Just trust me. I, I have no idea what responding to Jesus' call might mean for you, but I do know that he's calling you to follow him this morning, right now. Jesus calls, his disciples respond, and the third and final striking observation I see is this. Jesus then leads his disciples to places they never imagined. Jesus leads his disciples, following him, to places that they never imagined. Now, if you're at all familiar with the gospel stories, then you know that uh, Jesus' disciples thought they knew were following him would lead them. Right? They largely, by and large, agreed with first century Jewish expectations of the day. See, they, they thought that when God's Messiah came, he would establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven in a very King David-like way, right? He'd take up his sword, right? Violently rebel against the Romans, get them out through this glorious battle, this victory. The, the Messiah would sit on the throne in Jerusalem, become the king, Pure the temple, purify the temple, get those corrupt religious leaders out of there. God's glory would come and dwell in the temple again. And then God's kingdom would expand from Jerusalem out until it covered the whole world. This was what many of the Jews thought was going to happen when God's Messiah came. And we see this in glimpses in Jesus' disciples. You know, uh, James and John, for example. You know the story when they come up to Jesus and they're like, Hey Jesus, we have a question for you kind of a favor. Can we sit at your right and left hand in glory? In other words, Jesus, when you, you know, we see you're upwardly mobile, right? We see you're going to the throne. They had no idea that Jesus was first going to go through the dirt before going to the throne. But we see that you're upward mobile, right? Can, when you're reigning in glory, can we have the top spots in your cabinet? Right? This is what they were thinking. Or think of Peter. Peter, when Jesus is trying to explain that, that uh, the Messiah has to suffer and die, right, then be raised from the dead, Peter pulls Jesus, imagine this, Peter pulls Jesus aside and he lectures him. And he's like, Jesus, you can't talk like this, right? Right, because Peter did not have the mental categories to make sense of a suffering Messiah, let alone a path of discipleship that might follow a Messiah like this. And so Jesus is constantly, throughout the Gospels, trying to teach his disciples what it means to follow him. And he teaches them things like, you guys, following me, it doesn't involve a sword. It involves a cross. It, it doesn't mean hating your enemies. It means loving them. It, it doesn't mean being served. It means serving this is what life in the kingdom 
is about. This is what following me is like. And I just want to say this morning, I'm, I'm literally right here right now to ask one question. Where might Jesus be inviting you to follow him? Right now, where might Jesus be inviting you to follow him? And, and I recognize this is a, an open question. It's a vague question, right? And no two of you will have the same answer, but I think it's a sort of question that requires a prayerful imagination. And, and so to, to help stoke said prayerful imagination, I want to just briefly share, and I'll close with this, a time when following Jesus led my wife and I to a place that we never imagined. You know, when, when we got married, uh, we assumed, like most young married couples, um, that we would grow our family the normal way, the conventional way, that we would get pregnant, we would have kids, and then we would wait an amount of time and then, uh, and then just do it all over again, right? And, and the reality is that that desire of ours is a good desire. Like, I was so excited when I heard that there were going to be baby dedications today. Like, this is a good, this is God's idea. Like, this is good, and this is beautiful. And, and yet, over time, and with increasing clarity, uh, after every painful and passing month, we slowly discovered that conceiving our own children was probably not going to be an option for us. The, the, this happened as the, the specter of infertility became more and more clear. And, and infertility is something I wouldn't wish on, on my worst enemy. It's a slow and silent and lonely journey. And, and I, today, I love Mother's Day. Like, my, unfortunately, my wife often gets the raw end of the deal because I'm often preaching on Mother's Day. And, uh, but, but I love Mother's Day because uh, I have an amazing mom and my wife is the most amazing mom. And so I love Mother's Day. But if you are walking a path of infertility, Mother's Day is the worst. I mean, th think about this for a minute. I mean, especially if you go to church on a Mother's Day and the one thing, the one thing you want more than anything in the world is what everyone is rightfully and appropriately celebrating, right? And, and, and it seemed like for us, it seemed like everyone in our lives at this time was having babies, right? That's just how it, and I know a lot of it's probably our perception, but it literally seemed like, oh, wow, our neighbor is pregnant. And oh, wow, all our friends and everyone at church and grandma, you too? Like, what? <laughs> okay, I'm joking about my grandma. Uh, but you get the idea. Like, it seemed like everyone was getting pregnant, right? This, is, this was a very painful and difficult journey. And, and then at one point, a question was asked. And it was a very simple question. I think Cena was the first one to articulate it. What about adoption? What if Jesus is inviting us to follow him down a path that we never imagined. And so we talked, and we prayed, and we talked, and we prayed, and we talked some more, and then we prayed some more, and, and over time, what began as this spark of a question developed into this fire, into this passion, to the extent that we could not, we reached a point where we, we could not imagine doing anything 
but adopting. Even if we had gotten pregnant all of a sudden, we would have celebrated, and then we would have been like, okay, let's continue down this path. Like it was so clear to us that this is where Jesus was calling us. And I have an, uh, an obligatory cute family photo for the sake of the story. Um, there they are. Okay, there we go. Uh, yeah, oh, there we go, on cue. Uh, but it, it became so clear to us that this is where Jesus was calling us. And, and we never, never would have expected this. And, and it's been an emotional roller coaster. There have been highs and lows. Like, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. My wife is just a lot smarter than I am and better planner. So we're thinking through this. And she's like, well, we will have to deal with this. Um, but but I, I, it was so clear to us. This is where Jesus was calling us. Where might Jesus be inviting you to follow him? This is a question that I want to invite you to ask. During, during this time of communion, during this week, where might Jesus be inviting you to follow him? Jesus is calling each and every one of us to follow him. Will you respond? And will you trust him even if it means going places that you never imagined. Pray with me. Father, uh, we, we pause now and we thank you for your grace. Father, all of life is grace. Every breath that we breathe, every meal that we enjoy, every embrace from a loved one, and Father, it's, it's because you love us that you call us. Lord, it's because you want good for us that you invite us into a relationship of discipleship with you. You love us too much to let us stay the way that we are. And so I ask this morning that you would make your call clear, that you would draw each and every one of us in our hearts closer and closer to you, that we might know you better, love you better, serve you more faithfully, and experience the life, the life of the kingdom that you desire for us so that it might flood into every corner of our lives. We love you too, Father, and we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit who's here now. Amen.